Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, day four. Uh, great to see you're still hanging in there. Uh, my name is Marta Whitaker, and I'm uh, responsible for the AWS Marketplace business in EMEA. I have been with AWS for six years. This is uh, reInvent number seven. Uh, I started uh, about the time we launched the AWS Marketplace, and uh, that time we were uh, building out the catalog. And three years later, I relocated to Europe. I live in Luxembourg and am driving um, the business there, uh, building out the team. So um, today we're going to talk about um, how to safeguard your code in deploying in a DevSecOps environment. Uh, and what I'm going to do specifically is uh, give you a brief introduction on what AWS Marketplace is. So before we get started, I'd be curious to know um, how many of you have uh, bought something or have some kind of experience with AWS Marketplace? Okay, a few of you. Um, I will make a, a brief introduction, um, but I want you to know it's not going to be a deep dive into Marketplace. There are other sessions that we've done this week where you can watch recordings of that. Um, it's, it's not going to be uh, a deep dive in DevOps or security. That'd be really hard to do in the time uh, that we have now. Uh, again, you know, there are other sessions on that and, and focus on AWS services in this space and in other sessions that have been done. Okay, so what is AWS Marketplace? It is a um, curated digital catalog, software catalog, and it, um, much like if, if you've experienced Amazon.com, it's much like that buying experience in that it helps you buy, uh, helps you find and deploy software um, in, a, in a very quick, easy, fast um, deployment manner. So um, in, in 2012, when we launched uh, the marketplace, we launched it with a pay-as-you-go model. Now, back in 2012, that was pretty revolutionary that you could actually buy software per hour. But at that time, we had many customers who were buying AWS services per hour and expected the same thing from software. The marketplace um, allows a customer to, uh, uh, when they purchase services, um, to combine on the bill those AWS software purchases with uh, the AWS software purchases with the AWS services. And another important thing to note about uh, what we do is we continuously scan the catalog. So we uh, are um, going to uh, be alerted, uh, identify if there's a vulnerability uh, to make sure that the uh, catalog stays very safe and secure. Now, what, what do we mean by um, customizing the provision? So, as I talked about, uh, you can find software very easily across a breadth of categories like security, networking, DevOps. Um, but where you get to um, uh, do things maybe a little differently than you would in a traditional software purchase is, is you have a selection of different pricing options. So I talked about being able to uh, purchase it per hour. But you can also, um, we also have the option to use free trial. 
So quickly after we launched, we realized that one of the top use cases for the AWS marketplace was to be able to kick the tires on, on the software. So allowing free trial enabled that. Um, we also later on uh, continued to innovate and um, an, uh, launched annual and multi-year pricing. And what we launched last year, which has really uh, gotten a lot of momentum, is seller private offers. So you can imagine that if you're using um, the software in a you know, dev test environment and you're using it for testing, you know, purchasing it um, for a short period of time uh, might work out pretty well. But if you want to deploy it into production, then you get um, into the, maybe the more traditional pricing modes and so being able then to allow the customer to negotiate uh, as they would traditionally the pricing and T's and C's with that ISV but deploying it through the marketplace became uh, very attractive for our customer base and so we've seen a, a big uptake on that functionality. We've also continued to uh, innovate in different deployment uh, options so started out with Amazon Machine Image, AMI, quickly followed on with software as a service, which you can imagine uh, with its popularity. We support cloud formation templates. And um, at this conference, we announced uh, the marketplace for containers. So now you can deploy to ECS or EKS, Kubernetes. So in um, 2012, we were pretty excited to be at reInvent, number one and have a software catalog of probably over 100 different listings. So now let's fast forward uh, where we've got over uh, 4,200 product listings in the marketplace. And that's uh, supplied by uh, over 1,300 ISVs. And on the customer side, uh, we have now 200,000 active customers. So those are our customers um, who have purchased in the last month and our, our buying and, and marketplace. Now, also I wanna mention, um, you know, in terms of growth, the, the velocity. Uh, and so to go back to 2015, that was the first time we, we shared this stat, uh, we had 87 million hours of EC2 deployed. EC2 is, is how we're tracking consumption. Contrast that with today, you can see we're at 650 million hours of EC2 deployed monthly. So it's, it's probably not hard, uh, especially being uh, this week here in, in Las Vegas at reInvent, to um, believe that the public cloud uh, trend is just going to keep accelerating. So what they're saying is, you know, a little over three years, that 94% of all workloads uh, will be in a cloud data center. Now, uh, what they're also saying is that 73% of those workloads will be in the public cloud. And it's not hard to imagine that you're gonna have the majority of those workloads running SaaS. Now with this kind of transformation happening, you can also see that it's a, a good time for customers, companies to reevaluate what their software portfolio looks like. And so what, what we've encountered over the last couple of years and having lots and lots of conversations with customers is this model has emerged, which we call the 550-500. And that is um, where the top, uh, the top part of uh, 
this pyramid, or the bottom part, however you want to look at it. Uh, the number five is where you've got the five big players, and that's Microsoft and IBM and SAP, and companies that, you know, companies dealing with those uh, software vendors uh, are, you know, they put a lot of resources toward, you know, managing those relationships, and that's probably not going to change in the, in the foreseeable future. Those guys, you know, um, probably represent over 50% of IT spend. But it's this next uh, segment, the 50, which really um, is it's a sweet spot for AWS Marketplace. And it really represents um, an opportunity to think about how you procure and, and provision software from, from this set of software vendors. The bottom, um, you see the 500, and that's that's the long tail of your software portfolio. And yes, we in the marketplace do have a lot of startups and cloud-native software vendors, but it's really the, the middle, the, the 50, that uh, present an opportunity to do something to, to procure a bit differently with. Now, these 50 ISVs, um, they, they basically uh, represent or come out of these eight um, categories right here. And I think you probably recognize many of them on, on the screen right now. And we work closely with these ISVs. Many of these ISVs have, a, have achieved the um, AWS competency level uh, within APN. They, um, they uh, have worked with us, many of our technical team, to optimize their software to run in AWS. Um, and we will continue to uh, expand, enhance our, our catalog uh, across uh, these categories, other categories. And we will also add new categories. So this week, we had another announcement where we announced a new category for machine learning. So um, today, you can look at the machine learning category, over, uh, to over 200 listings of um, algorithms, models, which can be deployed directly to SageMaker. Um, so, in summary, you know, why AWS and, and why AWS for DevSecOps? Well, since, since the beginning, since 2012, developers have been, you know, one of the key buyers of our marketplace. And as I said, they do it because they can get it quickly, um, they can deploy it quickly, like many times with, with one click, and um, it's also consolidated on their bill. Um, and uh, so what we want to do today is we want to talk about how, as I said, we would focus on a real-life use case. Uh, so what we want to do now is switch over uh, to Matt. Get, I'm going to work on your name. Githari. It's just Matt. Um, and uh, he's going to take you through uh, why AWS Marketplace for Security and look at the real-life use case with General Dynamics IT. And I hand it over to you, Matt. Thanks, Marta. Welcome. Thanks for uh, attending our session today. I know it's been a long week. You've probably been to a lot of breakouts. Um, and uh, we're going to try to make this uh, interesting and, and keep you awake here. Uh, so first of all, let me just ask the audience really quickly, who's aware of the shared responsibility model? You guys know what that is? Yeah, that's what I figured. So the, the entire reason that I'm here and that we work with companies like General Dynamics IT um, is to make sure that we have sufficient offerings from a security and DevOps point of view um, so that you, the customer, can take care of your responsibilities when it comes to securing your application delivery pipelines. Right? 
Um, that's, that's my corner of the world. Um, and so uh, we're gonna highlight uh, Chef today uh, as one of our key third-party offerings uh, that helps with continuous compliance, uh, automated remediation, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and you'll get a good idea of you know, how uh, there are a number of tools, including Chef, that can uh, help you with your responsibility in this model. So my job here today is not to go into a really super deep dive on DevSecOps. What I really want to do is I'm going to talk in sort of a reference architecture type of way about how we think about DevSecOps, some of the problems from a very abstract level. And then really, this is just to provide context for um, our guests here from General Dynamics. So before we talk about DevSecOps, um, it's probably helpful to just talk about DevOps. Right? You can't have DevSecOps without DevOps. So I'm just quickly gonna, gonna kind of go through this. Um, waterfall methodology for uh, producing code, for getting code deployed into production environments. It's a lengthy process. You're taking lots and lots of code. Um, you're, you're, you're working on lots and lots of features over a very, very long time. And this can mean years in some instances. It can be, you know, I think General Dynamics is gonna talk about um, uh, their uh, sort of process and how long it took in terms of being longer than a year. Um, but Generally speaking, what happens here is you're doing lots and lots of work. There's not a lot of automation there. At the end, you're doing some testing. If something's wrong, you gotta send it back. And it's really not an ideal way to uh, deploy your software, right? And you have the Agile folks that came in and said, look, there's a better way to do this. Um, we can take smaller feature sets, code to that, put some automated testing in here, and then get it over to production a little bit faster, right? Problem with that is, is that the operations folks weren't always necessarily ready to take that code and put it into production and actually make it work. So the underlying infrastructure wasn't prepped for it. So that's where DevOps then comes in and you use the same sort of agile methodologies, but you add the ops folks in here um, where they're treating their infrastructure as code, right? And, and Chef uh, and, and tools like Puppet um, have uh, the ability to, uh, to define your infrastructure as code. You treat your infrastructure code just as you would your application code. You run it through the same tests along with your application code. And then at the end of the day or at the end of the process, and these are very, very small intervals now that we're talking about, uh, you can deploy your application code on your infrastructure code in a very cohesive way. And there are no surprises at the end. So you can do very, very fast deployments very, very frequently. So the, the, the kind of the equation for DevOps, if you will, it's automation, times your development in infrastructure code, right? You want to automate as much of that process as you can in these really quick iterative processes, and that gives you DevOps. So automation. We're going to be talking a lot about automation today, um, and you know, we're going to talk about, a lot about cloud automation. Um, automation is, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big thing. Um, allowing people to do things that have higher, higher order value, right? Rather than manual tasks, that's a key piece of what you do in DevOps. It's a key piece of, as you'll see, what we're doing in DevSecOps. And you know, ideally, if the more you can get uh, automated, right, as you go up the stack, as you go into your containerized environments, as you go across these things, you know, there, there is this theoretical goal out there where you could have 100% automation. I'm gonna actually take you through why that's not realistic. Um, it's something, again, theoretically, we, we talk about that, um, but there are some manual processes that have to be put in place. Um, and uh, again, we'll get into that a little bit. So automation, I, I tried to pick a, a, uh, you know, an example of a really cool automation, right? And so there's a story that just came out um, uh, that I read about a month ago uh, about bots, 
that were disguised as uh, developers, basically, right? And what these bots did was they went into the application and they automatically uh, discovered vulnerabilities. Uh, but they not only automatically discovered the vulnerabilities, because that's pretty easy to do. You have a bunch of scanners that can do that. But they then developed patches for those vulnerabilities and then submitted them back to the developer. Now, the developer thought that this was a, a live person that was doing this, but it was actually a bot. And I think five of these uh, remediations were actually accepted. So that's kind of where we're going with things like automation and remediation. We'll, we'll talk about automated remediation a lot more with, uh, with the, the GDIT guys and when they're talking about Chef. So again, um, looking at DevOps, what you uh, need to understand from a, from a basic point of view is you have, you have speed, you have the need to deliver code faster and faster. That's kind of on the y-axis here. You have an operation side or an infrastructure side that needs stability, right? And so you can be very, very fast and not stable, and that's kind of looking at it from a vertical point of view here. And then you can be stable and not very fast, right? You don't want to have those two things be mutually exclusive. What you want to do with your DevOps practice is actually cover more of this space where you're getting the speed and the stability that you need. Likewise with security and compliance, when you want to layer security and compliance onto this model, the first thing you need to realize is that security and compliance are not the same thing, right? They're, they're very tightly associated, but they're not the same thing. And I do a whole talk on security versus compliance that we're not going to get into today. But suffice it to say, you can be secure and not compliant. You can be compliant but not necessarily secure. And what you want to do is you really want to maximize the values of both of those things just in the same way that you're doing with speed and stability. So what happens when you do that? You'll see a trend here, I think. What you do is you get DevSecOps, right? You have speed and stability on one hand that is not inhibited by security and compliance on the other side, right? So you're not being told by your security teams or your compliance teams, this is no good. This has too many vulnerabilities. You gotta go fix this stuff. You gotta patch this stuff before we can get it into production. While the developers are saying, yeah, but we needed these features yesterday to be delivered, right? So I had to get this picture in. My daughter drew this, and uh, this is kind of the, the lion, unicorn, Pegasus, possibly. Uh, so solving for the problem again, what you want to do in DevSecOps is you want to take that DevOps pipeline that provides your speed and stability, and you want to layer in security and compliance throughout every stage of your DevOps process. And then this is more of kind of the Gartner magic quadrant view of the world, right? So you want to be up in that, the upper right-hand corner here where you can quickly iterate your software. And again, security is not an inhibitor. Security is actually enhanced, it's embedded, it's part of the process, it's an automated part of the process. Um, what we'll see, again, when we talk uh, with the GDIT guys is that, again, um, having 100% automation or having everything fully automated is not something that necessarily can be done, and sometimes you don't want to do that. And that's what I just said, right? We're automation enthusiasts, but there is the real world. I'm going to take you through a whiteboard exercise via PowerPoint, which is going to be really exciting here. So let's imagine that I'm drawing this, okay? So you have delivery frequency on the uh, x-axis here, right? So that is your DevOps team. That's your development team wanting to get faster and faster features out and published into production environments. And you got the security team on the, uh, the y-axis here, right? You got some theoretical times here that you can deliver code, right, and deliver it hopefully securely and, and compliantly. And then you have sort of this line that's, you know, hey, here's... Here's, here's uh, you know, optimal security. Here's, here's where we would love to be, all else being equal, right? 
So here's case studies. So we call the waterfall methodology that I, that I talked about, right? We have a lot of code being uh, uh, worked on and, and kind of compounded over very, very long periods of time. Not a lot of automation. Um, so you aren't able to test uh, frequently within that development process what's happening from a security perspective, right? So are there flaws in here that can turn into vulnerabilities, for instance? Are there things that I need to patch from an, an open source perspective that I need to catch very, very early on? You're not doing any of that stuff. And what happens is at T6 or T7 or so, you're doing some sort of manual security check, and the security guys are coming to you and saying, look, you got three choices here, right? We know this thing needed to be delivered at T6, but you can go, you can go uh, with our uh, option A, which is, fix a few of these things, right, and uh, deliver it within a couple of time periods, right? So one or two weeks later, right? But yes, so you're gonna, you're gonna have a little bit speedier delivery there, but you're gonna sacrifice your security. Then option B is, well, fix a little bit more of those bugs, um, but it's gonna take a longer time to do that. So you get a little bit uh, more security, but less speed there, right? And then option C here is, fix a lot of it, or as much as you can, and then you're really sacrificing your time to market in this case, right? This other line that I drew, it's, this is more of the Netflix or the born in the cloud model, as I would call it. So these are companies that are really super quickly iterating software. Uh, they're using a lot of automated testing, they're using a lot of automated security processes in it, and they're, they're deploying you know, hourly, um, you know, every other hour, you know, two, three times a day. Uh, and those are, again, the Amazon.coms of the world and, you know, the Lyfts of the world and so on and so forth, right? So they are uh, automation enthusiasts. And then you have what I think is more closely related to the real world, right? Um, so you have a bunch of automated processes, and you automate what you can or what you should, given your corporate policies, given the regulatory compliance, uh, uh, you know, status that you're in and so on and so forth. And then um, you're kind of going uh, with some manual processes where you have to, right? And then GDIT is going to talk a little bit more about that. So when we talk about DevSecOps, um, there are basically two ways of looking at this, right? There's security of the CI/CD pipeline itself, right? So those are going to be your normal things like identity access management, you know, making sure that the right people have the right access to the right things at the right time, right? You're going to be talking about things like a WAF to make sure that you know, you're able to do uh, proper web application firewall stuff. And then you're going to have a bunch of other things, you know, logging, monitoring. You're going to have ITSM involved in that. You're going to have communication platforms like Slack for chat ops, right? So there is an entire world of products that sort of insulate, if you will, the CI-CD pipeline. What we're going to be more focused on today is actually the security that's embedded in the code itself. Right? So we want to think about compliance. First of all, we want to think about um, security from a CI/CD point of view. We have different stages of, of the CI/CD uh, uh, process. I'm not going to do a super deep dive into this because this is a 60-minute you know, presentation in and of itself. But this is just to give you some idea of some of the security things, some of the security tools that are tied to different parts of the, the CI/CD DevOps process. Right. So you have things like static analysis that happens early on in the pre-commit phase. You get into software composition analysis to look for open source flaws in the commit phase. You have more dynamic analysis that goes on. You have your unit testing of your infrastructure code, uh, pen tests, and so on and so forth. And then when you get ready to deploy and you're thinking about um, you know, your production environment, the safety and security of your production environment, you get into runtime application self-protection. You get into things like configuration management and so on and so forth. 
So underlying all of this really is continuous compliance, right? So recall, security is not the same as compliance. You also need to make sure that everything you're doing throughout this process is uh, connected to your compliance standards as well. So here are some of the offerings in the marketplace that we, uh, that we have um, that fall under this sort of uh, embedded security, if you will, inside of your code, right? So we have continuous compliance offerings. We have static analysis offerings. We're working with a lot of the dynamic uh, analysis players today. Uh, the open source uh, scanners uh, like BlackDuck, um, container vulnerability has, has become a big uh, part of what we do now, working with companies like Tenable and uh, Twistlock. And then the runtime application self-protection, as I mentioned, um, getting a, a nice core set of uh, partners in that space. So to kind of sum all of this up, um, you know, with DevSecOps, uh, it's not just delivering at speed and delivering into stable environments. It's really helping the developers to treat uh, their application code and their infrastructure code, um, looking at security flaws as really functional defects, right? Um, and the same thing goes for uh, infrastructure, right? I want to kind of make sure I keep banging the drum on this. Your, your, your infrastructure can be treated as code, and it can be treated the same way as your application code, right? So you can look, you can do similar types of testing, not exactly the same, um, but you can do security checks on your infrastructure code as it's going through that, that CI/CD pipeline. So at the end of the day, you want your developers to be able to push application code uh, and accelerate that into production through CI/CD. Ops teams want to get that infrastructure code ready and prepared to receive that application code. And then the third big piece of this is really having security compliance being part of this and orchestrated really well with application code and your infrastructure code. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to our friends from General Dynamics IT, and they're going to take you through a very specific use case. Appreciate that, Matt. I'm Brad. This is Zach. We're from GDIT. Um, and kind of our scope uh, there, we're senior cloud engineers. We have over 200 uh, AWS accounts, which run thousands of, of nodes um, in our environment. Um, and talking about our journey, uh, kind of what, what got us started. I'll give you a little story. Our process is really uh, centered around security. Um, and what we did was we were taking SMTP, a ML relay, moving it from a Windows box over to a Linux box. With that, um, we, we have a very manual check going through all that. It took 13 months to get into what we call ATO, which is kind of like time to production. Um, through that process, we, we also realized that there wasn't really any visibility post that. Um, we do have you know continuous monitoring, stuff like that, but really what's going on in the environment on the nodes um, and the scalability, uh, just you know, 13 months to ATO. Um, I know other individuals in our environment go anywhere from six months to, to 18 months, um, which really, it, it doesn't help our developers. It doesn't help our operations team. Um, so being able to have that, that scalability and, and visibility is, is key for us. So one of the big things being the intelligence uh, division of General Dynamics, um, what we provide, um, and why we need to fix it is we need to be able to provide uh, applications to the warfighter, to either our customers on the ground or customers globally. Um, and with those applications being delayed, obviously we need to make sure that we increase that time so we can get those new applications out there to support our cause. Um, but also it enables our security teams to 
actually increase efficiency within their division, um, get that compliance and continuous mo uh, monitoring, and then also move towards um, actual remediation of things like zero days. Um, and then truly give our security team positive control because currently they're in a, you know, um, fight or flight um, type of mentality and burn, you know, fix the fires um, that come up and then move on to the next one. So knowing what our, some of our issues are as well as knowing why we need to fix it gave us a lot of motivation um, to develop a solution and, and um, really bring, like we are talking about, our ATO process, um, make it a lot shorter, give us that insight across our entire enterprise, being able to continuously evaluate everything that's going on. So when we have someone who um, is another engineer or another program um, who has access to that box uh, and they decide to change something, being able to see that change and how it impacts our environment, as well as mitigation of zero-day uh, vulnerabilities, which is huge. Um, so some of those components uh, that enabled us to do that was uh, Inspect, Chef Client, um, Chef Automate, Habitat, and a CICD pipeline. So um, just to give you a little bit insight onto uh, Inspect and Chef Client, um, obviously Inspect is a, uh, just a system service that runs compliancy profiles. And Chef Client is allows is a local system service that allows you to do your um, configuration management and mitigation of these zero days. Well, one of the big things for us um, is in relation to Brad's story, why it took you know 13 plus months for us to get this accredited was essentially you know you before we had Inspect, we had to step through each individual process of creating it, testing it, getting it staged, and then we got to security and we said, hey guys. We're ready to get this accredited and move to production. And they said, all right, well, based off these controls and based off everything it's accredited to, we need you to go back and fix these things. Well, then we go back through the cycle, fix, remediate, come back. Well, then it would sit on the desk for a while, and then they didn't, you know, they'd come back and say, no, we need more. And then finally, we got to production. Well, we brought in Inspect, and now using Inspect, we're able to have that continuous compliance all the way through all the processes. So. And within your dev, within your QA, um, and then actually being able to have security see that from the beginning of life to the end of life so that they actually have insight um, through the entire process and we don't have to wait as long. Um, and in regards of the SMTP, we were actually able to use Inspect um, to get an accreditation of the system within two weeks um, with you know, future iterations of that system. Um, and what that allowed us to do is bringing Inspec in um, allowed us to bring multiple teams together, um, not only just us as you know the infrastructure team, uh, but also be able to bring in um, our security team and our uh, DevOps team in regards to all right. Well, hey, we built it. Security sees us testing it. They see our remediation, our fixes getting implemented, and we're able to actually show that throughout all the stages we're compliant, but also very secure. Um, and it's all the way from, you know, obviously the beginning to the end. Um, so one of the big things with Inspec and, you know, our security team, um, you know, we were very big data center centric, and we were told, hey, we're going to move to this cloud, and we're going to just essentially um, go in here, well, one of the things is is we need to be able to show them that this is um, human readable. So being able to show security that Inspect um, is very easy to read in the, in the fact of, hey, this control, 
with this title, and we'd be able to give it a description based off of you know whether whatever framework NIST or CIS benchmark, um, and give it a score saying, hey, this package, um, libsc Linux, it should be installed. Um, very sim very simple, straightforward. Um, allowed us to bring them in, um, but not only does that allow for the infrastructure side. Um, it allows us to also do application level. Um, us being the infrastructure team, obviously, we want to be the ones doing the infrastructure as code and providing that um, compliance profiles for that, but we also need our developers developing these applications for the warfighter. So being able to give them insight with these compliance profiles, um, checking their systems that they're writing um, in regards to anything from containers to Nginx, packages, Postgres, um, XML configurations, they're actually able to see through their stage of development that they're being um, within these being secure, but also being compliant. So great. So we can see what's in our environment now, um, but we realize at that point we've got issues, right? We've got to fix them. Um, we utilize Chef Client on the systems to do that. Um, what that allows you to do is have that that continuous integration uh, component, being able to deploy the same um, code. Uh, when you're deploying out a system, let's say it needs to be replaced because of, you know, uh, whatever issues. Um, being able to do that in an automated fashion and, and being able to have the same consistent configuration across your enterprise, as well as being able to integrate if, uh, let's say, another zero day comes out tomorrow. Being able to deploy that across your enterprise within minutes is, is a huge benefit, um, especially versus doing it manual. So. Um, one of the other components that we were talking about earlier was the Chef Automate. Um, having that single uh, pane view into our entire enterprise, um, so we've got the configuration management component, we've got the inspect component, but those getting reported, right? How do, how do we integrate security in with that? Um, Chef Automate enables us to do that. So kind of uh, what, what all you can do with Chef Automate is, um, you can not only view the results of your chef client configuration um, when things are changed on nodes, let's say there's an update in code, um, but you can also see uh, your applications, you know, the inspect runs, the compliancy that uh, Zach was talking about. So to kind of give you an idea of what is built in with uh, Chef Automate, that continuous compliance, um, by default, I know they have, you know, 125 plus um, systems out there. Um, but really, it, again, it's, it's that real-time, you know, being able to check your entire environment, um, getting reporting to our security guys and, and validating, you know, what's really going on. So uh, part of that also is evaluating our accounts. When you have 200-plus AWS accounts, it's very difficult to go through it manually. Um, and not all of our accounts are identical. Um, there's use cases for, for different programs and things that we uh, maintain. So being able to tailor it to that program and, and really evaluate it gives us that positive control over the environment. Um, it's, it's massive, uh, so being able to, to see all that. Um, a good example is if, let's say we had uh, a bucket out there, an S3 bucket named MySecretFiles because it's got your AWS keys to your admin um, user account and you don't want to give that out to anyone. Well, if you have something like that out there, first, you want to make sure that he's there, so maybe you don't want to lose it. Um, you also want to make sure that it shouldn't be public. Um, 
and that you do log it. So when it gets accessed, things of that nature. So this is just an example of, of kind of what that looks like as a policy um, within InSpec. So being uh, on the infrastructure team and being a, a big provider um, as an ISP to uh, hundreds of other accounts, uh, we don't want to dictate the tool set that they have to use. Uh, we know that there's plenty of other tools out there, um, but internally what we'd like to do is we use Chef um, very heavily and we also provide it as an enterprise tool. Well, Chef Habitat um, allows us to um, provide these compliance profiles for us uh, to security. And so um, initially before you know, utilizing um, any of our, this, the Chef tool set, um, we were very standardized and you building from the operating system up, adding those libraries, the application libraries, the application. Well, when um, the intelligence division said, hey, we're gonna go to this cloud thing, they were like, we're gonna use Amazon, they said, we're just gonna lift and shift all of our applications and we're just gonna put them in the cloud and it's gonna work. Well, obviously, we all know that doesn't happen. So what Habitat allowed us to do is essentially create contract layers, right? So instead of going, building from, low, or building from the OS and up, you build from the application down. So we're able to package, it, package our applications um, and actually, uh, in a way, containerize them to where they are sufficient of themselves to have all their libraries, to have everything that's needed to run that application, independent of what OS they're on, just as long as they're on the same uh, family of the kernel. So um, this allowed us to build our, pipe, our, our pipeline, which uh, Brad will go into, that allowed us to um, get our insight into our base um, Amazon image that we create and also um, be agnostic to the tool set so that our uh, providers don't have to worry about um, ingesting just what we provide. Yeah, so like Zach was saying, CICD uh, pipeline is, is huge, right? Um, being able to, to have that consistency, test your code, um, because you don't want to test a code, put it on a box, go through your ATO process, and realize it may not work, right? Um, but having that pipeline, being able to to easily go through it um, and test out your code uh, as you go is, is huge. So I'm gonna give you an example of kind of kind of one of our pipelines. It's very high level, uh, not a lot of detail. But uh, let's say we have a new security vulnerability. We, we need to write a configuration um, component for it. Um, we'll take that, we'll write it, push it to get um, in there. Jenkins will see that, kick off a pipeline to, uh, we utilize Packer to, to spin up the systems and stuff like that, but it utilizes Chef under the hood to do the configuration management changes um, and some other components like InSpec. Um, at that point, it creates the, the AMI, and if that build job goes through, you know everything's good. So then Jenkins takes that AMI, then kicks, off, um, kicks it off through the cloud formation. Um, we install uh, Habitat and InSpec at this point to, because we wanna evaluate all of our our systems, our, all of our applications on that, on that new AMI, make sure it works for our entire enterprise. Uh, those results then get uh, reported into Chef Automate. So now you have not only your testing, but your single pane glass for your new AMIs. Um, and then it also, uh, Chef Automate notifies us, as well as security, that hey, there's a new AMI there, it passed, you know, here's your current st uh, status of it. If we're okay with that, um, then we, we go into GitLab, then we merge to master. Um, and that will then kick off a, a uh, build job that then creates an AMI that we share across our enterprise. 
So the biggest thing, obviously, with the key benefits, um, not only do we use, um, as was mentioned, the marketplace AMIs, obviously, right? You know, we go anything from uh, Red Hat, SunOS, to the Windows, and that um, marketplace provides us the standard base image um, across all of our environments to make sure um, so that we don't have to build uh, that OS ourselves. So we uh, highly benefit off the marketplace. Um, but then with utilizing the marketplace and utilizing Chef um, and the entire suite of their tools, um, it really did provide us um, a real-time view of the enterprise uh, when it comes to from beginning of life to end of life. Um, it gives security that positive control that they've been looking for um, and ensures that they're not worried about um, what's actually being spun up in our environment. Um, and then we can obviously all, you know, be able to detect any security issues or flaws in the applications before they even reach production. Um, and it provides us that scalability um, to provide us the ability to move quickly, move fast, and really the, the biggest goal for us is to be able to reduce that time to production. Uh, because, you know, circling back, we need to be able to provide applications um, and to the warfighter, um, to these people on the grounds, because, um, you know, their job and their mission depends on it. So, um, but overall, that's, uh, you know, the biggest benefits that we, uh, we get out of it, and uh, we, um, you know, are continuously growing, continuously moving, so we're going to continue to add more um, automation, but make sure that we um, have the steps to uh, have manual uh, verification, because our security team is definitely uh, wants to see what's going on. So, um, and with that, um, yeah. so. we have time for uh, Q&A, Matt and... Yeah. yeah well, so if you guys have any questions about you know what we do, uh, marketplace, uh, DevOps, DevSecOps, we have time to answer any questions. If yes, sir. So uh, what we're looking at right now is uh, going from that you know six to eighteen months um, down to roughly uh, a week or two, to, um, possibly up to a month. But that's, that's really because it enables us on the security side, um, bringing them along with us throughout the entire process. Any other questions? Here you go, sir. How did you convince your security team? How did you keep your wits about you to uh, convince your security team to um, adopt such a process? Um, <laughs> that's that a great was, question. <laughs> that was uh, a, a big challenge. Um, what, it, what it really required was um, what, trust, really. Um, trust that we're taking them in the correct direction, uh, as well as um, really they, they were a very data center centric mindset. And so we had to get them to understand the, the new toolings with, within the cloud, like marketplace and, and things of that nature, but really trust us, trust the code, trust that, that the commercial world kind of knows what they're doing. <laughs> so Another um, big thing too was, you know, we were very mindset on um, showing them all the cool stuff with Marketplace and the infrastructure as code and moving fast, but one of the things we had to really kind of lean back and go, well, why are they so hesitant was realizing that we actually had to come at it from the security side um, and look at the continuous compliance piece because we realized that they really had no insight ever. And so giving them the ability to really go, oh wow, there's a lot of things going on in our environment that we probably didn't realize, gives them that ability to then uh, move forward. Okay, so the second part of the question I'm going to um, pose to you is, um, from, the, from that standpoint, right, it's Fatara uh, subsection D, 
acquisition, streamlining, modernization. But um, from, from that standpoint, how did you go through the acquisition of, of bringing in Chef in order to bake it into the Amis and things of that nature? Well, you, you are baking it, um, the yeah. so, automated. So bring, bringing those into our environment, um, is that a good summary of how would how we go through that? Um, yeah, so um, kind of uh, the entire process in and of itself, um, it, so we, we have to get things uh, approved um, because we're not you know, commercial. So uh, doing that, it's been very challenging, um, but really it came down to what our needs were. Um, what, were we needing something, you know, a tool for compliancy? Yes. You know, were we needing a tool for configuration management? Yeah. So it, it's really the, the full scope of everything and, and specific to our environment. Others may have other things that, that they uh, bring in that works for them, so. And the big thing too with that was, you know, Chef was uh, very generous in helping us um, come to the table and be able to provide a proof of concept. Uh, we've been working with them for a few years now and um, the biggest thing was as we came to them and said, hey, we need to look at this from a security standpoint because this is how we can sell it to, um, to our customer and be able to provide a true um, tool set for them. So. They uh, allowed us to work with them and actually um, sat next to us and uh, drove this uh, proof of concept. And then they've also were able to see kind of like where we're at within the um, intelligence division and have been building us these compliance profiles and lockstep so we don't have to do all that manual labor. Um, so that was very beneficial um, and it really helped provide, you know, a lot of extra help because, you know, uh, some of our teams are a little bit smaller. So, yeah, of course. So my question is about um, Marketplace. And in the description of Marketplace, you mentioned that it's curated. Could you expand on what that means, please? Yes, so um, we go through a process with um, each of the ISVs, each of the products we bring on, and uh, go through this process with each and every ISV to make sure that um, the product um, meets certain criteria. We don't test the product um, for you know, um, its functionality, but we do, um, like I said, we scan uh, for vulnerabilities. So we test to make sure that there's not malware and things like that. Uh, we test to make, we confirm that it's, you know, product, uh, the product is GA'd and ready to be uh, consumed in a production environment. And that also uh, enables us uh, on our side for having that base. Um, uh, to start our entire process as a whole, so. Because there's that confidence that we right. it's that trust through that process. Um, yeah. So using Inspect to do that? <laughs> yes, we, we, uh, we're also. I mean with the marketplace. Oh, with marketplace? <laughs> I'd get shot if I answered that. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions, anybody? especially in the acquisition to um, utilize your process yeah. to quicken the pace of getting to where you're at today? Yeah, I mean, um, we, we put stuff out there um, for uh, our entire enterprise to, to see um, with, within our environment, kind of more specifically. 
but uh, we've also, um, a lot of the, the stuff that we're using is very public. Um, it, it's, uh, it's out there um, on GitHub as well. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, if you, if you need, need any uh, assistance, you know, just let us know. Um, we can talk afterwards if you like. Anyone else? Excellent. No? Awesome. Well, okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very it. much. Thanks.